what then should we do? The question is asked three times in today's gospel lesson. The crowds ask it, the tax collectors ask it, the soldiers ask it. What then should we do? How many of you have asked that question as you look at the state of our world today? What then should we do? Find a bomb shelter. It's the question we ask when our lives become complicated and difficult, and the world no longer makes much sense. What then should we do? What do you think is behind that question? What do you think it's really about, that question? When I hear others ask it, or when I ask it myself, I hear us saying that, that we've come to up against something that is bigger than ourselves. We're scared and we are overwhelmed. Life is out of control. We feel helpless, powerless to fix the situation. And that's hard for us. Because most of the time, we know what to do. Every day, we make thousands of decisions. Big ones, little ones, important ones, unimportant ones, life-changing ones, non-sequential ones. We know what to do. I'm not saying that you always get it right, but you know what to do. But generally... When our world gets turned upside down, when life feels like more than we can handle, when we feel powerless, that's the moment we cry out, what then should we do? It's a question that comes from a deep place within us. In understanding that truth, then our response must also come from a deep place within us. Our response to the question cannot, cannot begin with what is happening in the world. It must begin with what is happening within us. It begins with our sense of, of powerlessness. If we focus on only what is happening in the world, then our response is basically limited to two things, fight or flight, violence or indifference. And in both situations, nothing changes, least of all you. Powerlessness for me, at least, as I see it, is the middle ground between fight and flight. We are powerless to fight the world's situations on our terms, and we are powerless to get away from them, which is the source of so much of our fear and anxiety and uncertainty. And yet that same powerlessness becomes our way forward. Let me explain, because you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> our powerlessness opens us up to new and different sources of empower 
meant. Instead of limiting our possibilities, our powerlessness creates new possibilities. Powerlessness does not mean that we have no choices. It means that we must make different choices. We may be powerless to change the world, but we can choose to change ourselves. We may be powerless to escape the world, but we can choose to live a different way in the world. You may believe that you're powerless, but in truth you're quite powerful. Isn't that what what John is saying to those who ask the question today? He doesn't ask them to change the world, but to change themselves. He doesn't tell them to quit their jobs, but to live a different way. The crowds who came to him could not eliminate poverty, but they could share what they have with those who hunger. The tax collectors who came to him could not overhaul the tax code, but they could be honest. The Roman soldiers could not end Roman occupation, but they could act with integrity and refuse to abuse their power. In each of those situations, John focuses on people and relationships. Surrounded by a world that they are powerless to control, but pointing out the reality that they have the power to live differently in the world through very simple, concrete, and practical ways. Of course, John's answers are not satisfactory to us if we're hoping to change the world immediately. Poverty still remains. Unjust economic systems still exist. Power is still abused. But let's, let's really be honest. Let's have some truth. Jesus really didn't fix the world either. Truthfully, he didn't. He engaged and he gave himself to the world one person, one relationship, in one moment at a time. He loved the world to death and beyond. He showed a different way of being, a different way of living and relating. He offered different priorities and values. And then he invited those around him to participate and to follow him. Through his life, what he showed us is what it means and looks like to be fully human. What he showed us is what it looks like to be a dwelling place of God. What then should we do? It probably shouldn't come as a surprise to you, but I can't tell you. I cannot answer that question for you. It is a question that you must ask and you must answer on your own.
I can, however, tell you things that I see daily within this community, how we pack 425 lunches a month. We feed about 5,000, a little over 5,000 people a year. Now, the truth is, we will not eliminate hunger in Columbus. We won't. And yet, we refuse to be indifferent or to ignore those who hunger. It's one of the ways that we align our lives, our values, with Christ's life and Christ's values. Simple, practical, meaningful. Every month I give you an item, chapstick, socks, bug spray, band-aids, the most boring, the most mundane things that you have in your bathroom closets. Nothing sexy about band-aids. Nothing. And yet every month you go out and you, you seek those items, you buy them, you bring them back. And in giving those things, you alleviate blistered feet, chapped lips. You provide someone comfort in an unimaginable, uncomfortable life. Those things cannot be quantified. They're acts of mercy, of compassion, aligning our lives with Christ's life. I could go on. I won't. Each one of those things is simple, practical, concrete, acts of love and mercy. Each one arises from a place of powerlessness. We cannot end homelessness. We cannot end hunger. We cannot fix the world. But each one of those acts continues to hold the door open for the coming of God's kingdom. Each one. What then should we do? Better yet, let me ask you, what now will you do? Thanks be to God. Amen.